Hi everyone! Today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by writer-producer Hannah Friedman. Hannah's credits include Pixar, Lucasfilm, Showtime Netflix, Comedy Central, Disney, just to name a few. Today, Hannah shares stories from her eclectic childhood, the relatable roller coaster of young ambition, from her first book that didn't make the New York Times bestsellers list, but ultimately did open doors for her career. She shares her experiences coming up as a young writer and how those experiences shaped and influenced her work now as a producer staffing writers. Hannah, in a word, is relatable. She shares her unfiltered truth with us today from overcoming self-doubt and how as a new creative on the team, you're always working overtime in your head and putting in far more effort into getting it right than anyone would know from seeing you. This is an excellent episode for our writers and multi-hyphenates. Now, let's get to the conversation. Hey Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame today. How you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Um, I am so excited to have you on. We were talking before the recording. It's really encouraging and also just really inspiring to see a young female writer-producer in this industry. We're currently in a dual strike. Um, we are currently in a very unprecedented time in our industry, and it's really nice to see a young, powerful voice breaking through all of the noise. Um, but I'm curious, if you don't mind, for anyone that's not familiar with your career and what guided you to where you are today, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit of your backstory. Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a bus. My dad's a musician, so I toured around with him and his like, weird family uh, folk jazz band. And then I started writing and I've written for, I wrote a book, I adapted it for television. Um, and then I wrote for about a dozen TV shows, uh, transferred into features, worked for Pixar and Disney. Then I did Lucasfilm. So I worked on Obi-Wan and Willow and I did Muppets right before the strike. And who was instrumental in, you know, your dad was in the industry adjacent with music, which that's a, that explains, because I've seen in a couple of places online when I was doing my research that you had an eclectic childhood. That makes a lot of sense. You're living in a bus and a van before it was cool. But what guided you into writing? What was it like a young passion for you? Or was there someone that was instrumental in encouraging that curiosity? Um, all of my teachers, my early teachers, when I came back from that bus into high school, like Miss Jumaine was a great teacher, um, and Mr. Ives and Mr. Goulian. Like I, I think it's so important to have mentorship at a really young age. And I was able to be encouraged by all of those different people. And then I've had so many amazing mentors in the industry as well. But I think um, David Dunbar, like it, just just people who, um, when I was really, really young, saw what I was trying to do and said, you know, you're, you keep doing this. You could you could continue to do this and um, and have find find success. So I'm really grateful for those people. Yeah, there's there's so many ebbs and flows to our business, regardless of which, you know, arm of it you were a part of. Was there ever a time where you thought maybe writing is not going to pay the bills and be your I mean career? yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're human. Yeah, that that checks. That checks. That's the <laughs> constant. Absolutely. It's very um 
there's like you said, many ebbs and flows. There's so, so much rejection, so much collaboration, which can be great and can also be really, really tough and stressful. And, um, I think when you take an art form and then you add commerce, there's inevitably going to be crazy deadlines and crazy people. And it's, uh, constantly, uh, something that you that you need to be navigating. It's something that I question all the time. <laughs> like, is this is this, is this has, a career path? <laughs> no, but as I tell anybody, like, if you can do anything else, go do anything else. But the ones that will see it through, you can't imagine yourself doing anything else. And and on those days, what is your like touchstone? What is the thing that recharges your creative battery when the industry and the business side of it? kind of drains the the love and the the confidence out of you as an artist oh it's such a good question I would say other artists so whether that be other writers who you can go to and just say oh I had a heck of a day or collaborators in the room who you love working with or people in other departments like that's what's so cool about television is that everyone is such an expert so you're working with people in the costume department who love their job and are so good at it and people who in props and set designing and and the cinematography like it's such a community effort so it's really easy to get energy from Mm. other collaborators because they're you know they're passionate about what they do so that's been really helpful and everyone's doing it such a high level I know so many times I've been on set and kind of get lost in it not in the grand scale of you know just the production but just seeing how laser focused someone is with even miking people it everyone is at such a high level and everyone is so instrumental in making that collective piece of art at the end of the day it's so easy to get lost in it and just really inspired by that you're there god I miss it (laughs) Yeah, it really is uh, its own city. Every production is such a living organism and there's so much passion and craft that goes, like you're saying, like just yeah. so the mic packs are charged and that everything is organized in the right way. And yeah, um, yeah that that is, it, that's where I, I get a lot of comfort and enthusiasm is is from people in other departments, I would say. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about writing first. We've we've touched on a little bit of like past teachers, but who was really an influential voice for you starting out that perhaps introduced you into your first writing fellowship or, or things like that? Um, Winnie Holzman um, has been a mentor of mine and I, I really appreciate her so much. And Cameron Crow and Jason Kadams, like some of the people who I was learning from early on in my career. I was so lucky enough to work with Michael Showalter. Like he, he gave me wonderful opportunities and also um, just encouragement. And that's so crucial when you're doing something as weird as this art form. It's just nice to have people who understand and who just say, I see what you're doing, like keep going. I think that fortitude is so crucial in order to, in order to have like any forward momentum in this industry and the reason that I was able to keep going is because of people like that who said like you can do it you're doing a good job so that's really helpful and I try to do that like I try to pay it forward I try to like read 
a new script every week from someone who's coming up and like give them thoughtful notes and yeah that was a that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about was mentorship and the importance of paying it for we've talked about that before on the podcast but were there any kind of programs or resources that you found that were really beneficial to you as an artist starting out that you've now tried to get plugged in with um, that you would share or recommend people check out? I think right now we are in a season where everyone is very hungry for community and creativity and, and finding those things to connect with coming out of these strikes. Yeah, it was, there are wonderful fellowships. Um, I did the New York Television Festival, so I really loved that one. But I think probably uh, one of the other really good things to do is just to form your own little writers groups, just to to use the community that is already around you, um, friends and friends of friends and and actors, and you know, get readings going at your house. Like invite people over, ask for feedback. I think those have been some of the longest lasting and most resonant uh, like long-term collaborations ha- have just been people in my life who I've said, oh, I'll read your script. Like, will you read my script? Let's talk about it. Um, let's have a work day. We have to incorporate these notes. That's really hard. Let's just be there together and have a little bit of um, solidarity with each other. And that's that's been very instrumental I think in building my own community do you primarily write because I I mean obviously your IMDB and you know what you've been nominated for things like that is more of a collective writer's room a collective project but do you write with just a one writing partner or projects on your own as well yeah definitely I do lots of writing on my own I've done writing with my fiance I've done writing with um with all, a lot of different combinations of people and it's so fun to get to play in different sandboxes I'd love to talk about your creative process personally because I think whatever you yourself your habits and and your your mannerisms that's what attracts a writer's room to you as a writer and a voice so I'm curious how you start breaking out a story how you start writing when it's when it's just you or you and a writing partner um I try to dig into personal emotion if something is really resonant for me usually if you get very specific that also resonates universally so whether it's a strong feeling of loneliness or or love or whimsy like whatever that is that that really feels powerful inside of me I'm able to channel that and use that as a way to kind of fuel the project and I've in my younger life as a writer, I've taken on projects just because I was so hungry to do anything. And when I don't feel that kinship emotionally with a project, it's much, much harder to write. It's it's like almost impossible to not lose your mind doing it for me. So, um, so I think starting out, it's like find something that you're going to be okay doing hundreds of pages of notes on. <laughs> Uh, rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it somewhere do you have a favorite place to write I have this really good ergonomic setup right here that I'm looking into the camera and it there's a beautiful chair that has a good lumbar support and and I never use it I just sit like a hermit crab all curled up on my couch (laughs) 
Um, I know that Did I you should dance in like a prior life. Cause that sounds like me. Like I will sit yeah. on the floor over a chair any day. I'm like, I am most comfortable. I'm the girl at the airport that's like stretching and people are like, what is she doing? I'm like, I'm not going to come out like a pretzel. I'm going to stretch first. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, so this, yeah, so this is probably not the healthiest place to to write slumped over my couch but that is usually where I do it um yeah what was your experience coming into your first writer's room was it that you had an agent was it a, a, a mentor or a contact that it guided you into that opportunity how did you book your first you know professional job in that sense I wrote a book proposal out of college and that sold. And then I wrote a book that did not do well at all, but I adapted that for television. And that was my first television job. And then I got a manager off of that. And then she submitted me for staffing. But I say that because as a, I don't know, 21 year old, I was like, so devastated that this book was not a huge New York Times bestseller. And it's like, such a footnote in the rest of my life as are many other projects and projects in the future, I'm sure as well. So um, just, I just say it, mention it for my younger self of like, it's such a journey and you never know what's going to lead to what, and not every project is going to be, or has to be like the big one. That is so, so good for people to hear, regardless of where you're at. I, I personally, I have experienced that. I, I have, you know, booked a national commercial and then it's been years before the next one. And, you know, you'll be doing other things in that, that period of time. And I think there is this, I, I've been working on a, a blog uh, post recently for What's My Frame. And it's, I guess, guess that's why it's on my mind, but so much of creativity is so personal our self-worth so often is intertwined with our success which to be a functioning human and continue with this it can't be and that that finding that balance is so hard so thank you for sharing that what was your first day like when you were a staff writer what was that oh like yeah. first day of school <laughs> I'm sure I tried on ten thousand different outfits I was very very nervous um and it was a hard job. It was it was hard and there was a lot of living inside of my head and thinking like, should I say this? I don't know. What if that's stupid? But what if I don't say it? Oh, no, now the conversation has moved on. So it's too late to say it. And then someone else would say it. And I'd be like, oh, I should have said it. Um, oh, it was a lot of living. Uh, like I definitely worked 20 times harder in my head than anyone would have seen based on what I said. <laughs> Um, so it was, it was stressful. Yeah, it was, it was a difficult job for sure. Yeah. Was it primarily male voices in that room? No, there was, there were two other female, older female writers in that room. Um, but definitely more men than women on, on the whole. And that room had more women than a lot of other rooms I've been in. I've definitely been in rooms where I'm the only woman, um, multiple rooms. So that wasn't the worst one. <laughs> I mean, generalizing your, your experience in, in different writer's room. Cause you know, we don't want to, to 
to pick on anyone, that, that's not the point of this. It's just to give insight to young writers. There is a Oz vibe to the writer's room of people not really knowing what the collaboration, what has been your experience of how, when you come into a new writer's room, how you establish your voice, what you are contributing to the story, how do you find your place as a young writer? It's a good question. Um, I've heard two helpful things to describe writer's rooms. One Mm -hmm. of them is it's kind of like Thanksgiving. So sometimes if you really like your family and there's funny people and chatty people, then you have a great Thanksgiving. But sometimes if your uncle is like an angry drunk, you're not going to have a good Thanksgiving. And that is what it's like being in a writer's room. That is the most accurate and also honest description ever. I don't know who said that, but oh my God, that, (laughs) that is spot on. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's really hard to generalize because of what I just said, because um, every Thanksgiving table is so different. So, so different. The rules are different. The rhythm is different. Maybe in one of them, there's like a patriarch who kind of takes over the conversation and your job is to listen and and some of them, it gets really rowdy. And some of them, it's a little quieter. Like, it's definitely the job I have found your first few days to just read the room, just to literally be like, okay, what is the showrunner looking for? And then the the other thing about writer's rooms that then when I started hiring for my own writer's rooms, I realized is it is kind of like casting. You're casting the voice of the show. So if there are parent characters you want to have writers who are parents so that they can speak to that experience if there are young gen zers who are dating you want to have writers who can speak to that experience authentically so um once you know that you can intuit just like with acting like oh what's sort of my typecast like why am i here am i here to be the voice of women am i here to share funny dating stories um Am I here to explain how people use Twitter? Like that, this is like 12 years ago, maybe. But um, but once you are aware of that, you can, or, or you know, sometimes there are certain character storylines that make more sense to pitch on than others. Uh-huh. Um, so once you know that, then it's easier to contribute because what's great, uh, once you get past the scary part, <laughs> yes. It's literally based on your experience. Like you don't have to be a genius. You just have to be yourself and share real stories from your own life. You bring up such a great point. And I think that's one of the things that makes iconic TV shows so relatable is because they have so many diverse points of view adding and, and adding to that Thanksgiving table mixing bowl of ideas. Do you have a, a favorite personal story that you've added when you are it when it's not anonymous you're sharing your ideas and stories in the room and then people can then pepper in their their take on it I'm sure that that is that is both gratifying and also very humbling (laughs) yes um it's always so satisfying when something makes it all the way like onto a card that feels really good and then when the card on the wall (laughs) you're like oh wow maybe it's getting all the way um I have a lot of those that are just small and silly and personal. Like there was an episode of about a boy where Marcus plays 
he gets a role in the school play, but he's part of Mount Rushmore. So he's just like a face in a, in, uh, in, in a mountain. I thought that that was, was like based on something close to me. And that was funny. Um, and then let's see. Yeah, there, there are, there are kind of too many to, to, to name because you'll, you'll pitch like an interaction with your dad or just like little things that make their way in. But yeah. I will share the story of a friend. Um, she she went to a wedding where the two people were very shy. And so they gave their vows in a giant box. Like they were standing, but then they had this giant box that went over both of their heads. Stop. And so that they could see each other, but everyone else just saw a big box. So she thought that was hilarious and shared it in the room. And it went straight on the board. And it went into the show. It was an Apple show. And then she had to retroactively call them and be like, listen, this is very specific and you will recognize it because it is from your own wedding. So I hope that you like that it's in the show now because it's too late to take it out. So you do have to be careful what you share. Oh yeah. When it's, when it's your experience witnessing someone else's ideas, I'm sure that, oh wow, that must've been a fun I think they were a little reticent but ultimately they were like okay I guess it's um kind of out there now and it is what it is you mentioned earlier that your dad was a a singer songwriter or singer Mm -hmm. singer songwriter and you're a writer but I do want to talk about your Emmy nomination for Muppets Mayhem and you actually wrote both for you wrote a song in that as well as writing for the show is that correct I wrote um yeah, I was the co-executive producer of the show and I wrote some episodes for the show and I also wrote the theme song. So I'm really proud of the theme song. Um, we really tried to channel New Orleans jazz and the original Muppet music uh, catalog. And it was just such an honor to get to do that. Taking on something like Muppets that is a beyond established brand there's a tone there's a voice that people immediately know when they hear that name I'm sure that was a a weight and a responsibility that you were taking on but like how did you you know we live in a culture very much of the reboot the reimagining the prequel the sequel things like that and I'm curious how you found the balance of approaching something so established but also adding your own voice to it which is so important and what is the the factor that makes it successful in today and making it fresh again yeah I love Muppets I am such a huge true fan ever (laughs) my childhood so it was a big honor and also I was nervous and it was wonderful to hear uh one of the main puppeteers was in the writer's room so you could just hear him riffing and playing and talking through lines and that was so it was just really playful and he talked a lot about Jim Henson's ethos of play and that made it easier to kind of open up my creativity and get to experiment with those characters who people know a lot about. What was a favorite episode or do you have like a favorite storyline that came to life? There's a flashback about baby animal that's very sweet and that uh they they have like little baby animals that they made he's just very adorable so I I would say the baby animal storyline is uh 
is a personal fave. I think Weapons Mayhem is an excellent one to discuss because you have very, two very established careers in both writing and producing and co-executive producing. And this was one where you you got to wear both hats on the project. How do you feel like one career influences the other, perhaps makes you more compassionate for one another? How, how do the two influence? Having more responsibility as a producer, as you move up the chain in the writer's room, um, it just gives you more, more insight into different departments, especially on something like Muppets. So if you write the Muppets are walking up Runyon Canyon, that's a fun idea maybe. But when you put your producer hat on and you realize how many puppeteers and it's that's a location day and like you're getting trucks to Runyon Canyon, you're shredding it down, what time are you there? Like it just gives you more of a practical eye on the actual production. And I think it makes you a savvier writer and a more versatile writer because sometimes like it's raining or someone broke their ankle. So they're not going to be walking Runyon Canyon. And it just makes you a little more um, uh, nimble in terms of pivoting. I think a lot, especially now, I see a lot of younger writers who are a little more precious about, about what's on the page. And I think something that is fun, but also can be really frustrating about television is because there's so many departments involved, your screenplay is not the final product. Like people aren't reading your screenplay in their homes. They're re- they're watching the show. And in order to get from your department, from my department to the final product, so much has to go into that. Um, and it's just fascinating to, to learn about from the perspective of, of a producer so that's that's what's been neat about understanding that different angle of it I do want to go back and touch on writing and deadlines because we on the show have talked about the deadlines that actors face in tv casting as well as even the editors what kind of time frame are you all given and is it realistic in writing an episode or is the streaming space that you've been in is it is it done differently than say network it totally depends on the show. So network shows, usually it's a 20-week initial contract and you're writing most of you're writing episodes so that there's episodes in the pipeline when production starts. And then streaming is a totally different game. Maybe it's like six weeks or eight weeks. Maybe you're not even there once production starts. So it totally depends. But I will say that I really benefit from deadlines like the theoretical deadline is very very helpful to me and kind of crucial because I think there's so the the good thing about being a writer is you can imagine lots of different possibilities and scenarios the bad thing about that is that there's sort of infinite ways that a story can go and if you're not forced at gunpoint to just friggin decide on one of them already then you won't or I won't so it's really helpful to have deadlines sometimes they're too fast and furious and it can be really stressful if you do a table read and the network throws out the whole script and you're gonna shoot it on Friday so you need to pull an all-nighter to get it redone like that can be really difficult and stressful but um in general having a deadline allows me as an artist to 
kind of use that last bit of adrenaline to make final decisions and just like get something out. Yeah. I would love to shift gears more to the producing side of your career and, and we'll kind of go down that rabbit hole, but you've been a co-EP and a consulting producer so far in your career. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions or unknown about the responsibilities of a producer. Um, could you share a little insight into what your typical work week is like? You've touched on that you have more connectivity with each department, but I'm just curious, what is a normal week in the life? Oh my gosh, there's just no, there's no normal <laughs> good answer. It, it depends on the show. It depends if you're on in in production or not um if you're like on the stage I would say there's a lot more mentorship as you become a producer in a writer's room there's usually staff writers who maybe you'll get potted off and you'll help them break an episode or you'll do like a joke pass with them um and that's been really gratifying to get to 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 get to do that sometimes you get sent to be on the stage and have alternative jokes or you'll talk to the director and they'll say um this scene like this middle of the scene isn't really it, it feels a little fat what can we do or an actor will have questions about why am I saying this or can I cut this line and you, you'll either say yes or you'll say oh actually we need to establish that you're going to the I don't know to the hoedown so you have to say this but you can cut the rest of this like it just depends completely on what is happening on the day and that's cool because sometimes there's puppets on set and sometimes you're in the middle of the desert and sometimes like you're at a ranch and there's like a rattlesnake wrangler and you have to talk to that person. Um, I think sort of by definition, it's it's really different every single day. Sometimes you're in post, you know? Yeah. Or looking at a mix or like sitting with the editor and it, it definitely depends on the showrunner and if they want to delegate or not. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, was that the Disney ranch out in Newhall, the rattlesnake rattle? I've met that man. I've met that man. <laughs> oh man, that man. What um, a, yeah, 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 yeah. I did a car commercial out there in the, like the residential street. And then they wanted us to walk like the trail. They were like, actually, we're going to add this, but we got to have I don't remember his name, but it was very fitting for his career path. When you said that, I was like, oh my God, it couldn't be that. Yeah, no, that's him. I think that's just his hustle. I feel like he must. That is his hustle. It just keeps the Amazing. snake from like taking over the ranch, which I mean, it's, it's so funny. Like the things in the industry once, because like they, they filmed an episode of station 19 out there. And I was like, oh, I, re I was like, oh wait, after you saw like three houses, you're like, I know exactly what street that is. <laughs> like the Disney, you know, you start, it's like the weird thing, the longer that you're here, the, the magic and the demystification goes away. Definitely. You're like, I've seen that high school before. You're like, hmm, wait a second. When working on a series like Obi-Wan or Willow, when do you come on as a producer and how much interaction do you have with each department as a co-EP? Um, it totally depends. For Willow, we started the writer's room and they were, we hadn't cast yet. So we got to weigh in on that and we got to see some of the designs for what was coming together for the exteriors which was really beautiful um 
and then shape the story, like really shape what the character arcs are and where you want the season to end and what the big conflicts are. You you brought up an excellent point of the discussions of deciding when a, a season would end. But a conversation that's been had a lot lately is, especially in the streaming space, about season pickups, um, season guarantees, things like that. And I'm curious from the co-EP side of things, what are those discussions like with the studio network in regards to this is one season, you're guaranteed a second, perhaps the second season goes from guaranteed to in in negotiations again, or in uh, it's becoming a discussion. How do you fight for and champion for your your project that you you love so much and you've poured your heart and soul into for a season to see it get its second season, et cetera? Um, I wish I had more good advice. I think feel like I need to hear advice about how to champion for a second season. I've I've been on a se- several one season shows, um, but I would say. I got a good piece of advice, which was leave it all on the floor. Like don't waste great ideas by saying, oh, we'll use this in season three. Like Mm -hmm. use everything you have, put it all on the screen and then be forced in the hopeful good news that you're going to get another season, be forced into a corner creatively and then have to really stretch yourself. So that's, I think that's really been good and inspiring advice because I've definitely been on shows where we do hold back fun ideas because we want to save them and then we don't get to make that season. So, um, so I think, I think it's always good to front load your creative passion. Was it Willow that you said that you all came on before casting was finalized, correct? Mm -hmm. So we have heard from both the actor and the casting side of things in regards to like approval process for casting, but we haven't heard from the producing and like studio side. What is like, are you, you all handed off an episode of actors to approve? Are you handed off two actors for a role? How, how is that approval process presented to you? It's, it definitely gives me compassion for the audition process because you see how many great truly great auditions come in how many people you know nine out of ten people in the room think that they're the best and then they don't get the part because someone else was a brunette or they were too tall or the schedule didn't work out right because the episodes flip-flopped and now they have to be on another like it's just so it's so beyond just the realm of doing a great job and that is tough. It's tough to see. You want, you want it to be like, everyone's kind of awful. And then one person is clearly the winner. And, you know, there's many times where I have disagreed with a casting choice where I've thought this other person, I liked them better in this part. And for whatever reason, because of budget, because of time, because of someone else thought that they looked like their ex-boyfriend, like really random things that, Mm -hmm. that can get people dinged. And, it just makes me, um, it makes me really compassionate for the job of, of going on auditions. And, and also it gave me a little bit of grace around that of like, it has nothing to do as like, do the best job you can and then leave it alone because there's so many factors that you can't even believe would come into this, um, that have nothing to do with your performance. So 
that is it, that was really surprising to me for for your experience and just in regards to the casting have you sat in on any virtual callbacks or is everything that you've seen for approvals once it's gotten to you been someone's first or second tape I've seen both and I've done for like for my own projects I've done live zoom sessions and um, chemistry reads and things like that young filmmakers that are listening what's a piece of advice that you would share in starting out get a good therapist oh my god the deadpan reaction and a good therapist it's it's very um emotionally uh volatile the Mm -hmm. highs the lows even the success is like very um it can be really draining and and boundaryless and and difficult to maintain your personhood and like especially if you're an introvert, like I am, it's, it's not very intuitive. Like the things that come along with being, with being a sought after artist often have nothing to do with art. You know, they, like, it's a lot of interfacing with other people or like talking about the project instead of doing the project. And sometimes that's really hard. So that on top of rejection notes, having to be in a really constant cycle of like being criticized. That's kind of what you're asking to do if you're, unless you're like funding your own plays and nobody needs to sign off on them, which I hope you are. It sounds great. Um, it must be a joyous life. Yeah. That let, let me know where I can sign up. But if you're putting your hat in the ring of this industry where it requires so many other people to get your project going um it's just a lot it's a it's a lot it's it can be really heavy so have a good self-care routine and whether that be like therapy or a or a group where you talk share your feelings or you know a, a yoga practice like have a really robust personal self-care routine because that is what keeps your art sustainable I think that when I joined the industry, I wanted to be a wonderkind. I wanted to be like 25 and running a show and starring in a thing. And yeah, I really like, you could not have convinced me that that wasn't the the dream. And now looking back on that, I'm like, thank God that that didn't happen that quickly. Cause I would have been a crazy asshole and a, probably a drug addict. Like I just definitely could not. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> Anna, this has been an absolute blast. I'm curious, you've, you've already accomplished so much in a young career. What is something that you really are passionate about or a challenge you want to take on in the future? Um, I'm hoping, knock wood, to when the strike is over to direct my first feature that I wrote. So I'm really excited about that. And for anyone that is really vibed with what you've been sharing and are really encouraged by what you've made for yourself and want to either connect with you or work with you, is there any way that they can get plugged in and and perhaps create with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, On LinkedIn or on my website, Hannah Friedman, um, you can find links to this new story seminar that I'm doing. And I talk about Pixar and Lucasfilm and 
Um, it's just a really great way to learn some story tenets and we do a Q&A and um, I also do private sessions. So hit me up. Right on. All right. Last question that we ask everybody on the podcast is what's one thing you wish you could go back and tell their younger self? I just wish I could go back and tell her to chill. It, it'll work out. Like you don't have to have everything knocked out by the time you are 30. That will not be fun or possible. So chill out. <laughs> and not possible to do drug free. So just don't go that route. Yeah, exactly. Don't go that route. Hannah, I, I want to say a personal big congratulations on your Emmy nomination. It is so nice and refreshing to see a young, vibrant voice getting recognized in this very, very um, populated industry that we love. So congratulations on that. And I look forward to seeing all the other things that you do in the future and getting to cheer you on via the podcast. So thanks so much for making the time to chat. Thank you so much. Same, same, same. Great to chat with you. Hi everyone. Thanks for listening and being the absolute best part of our creative community. Thank you to my fabulous guests today. If you'd like to learn more about them, please check them out in the show notes and please join us on Instagram and TikTok at what's my frame. I'm Laura Linda Bradley. Thanks for listening. 